Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Well, good morning there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us here on another fun-filled episode. And yes, a beautiful morning here in the middle of August. Guys, September is literally only a few weeks away. Isn't that weird? It, it's it's weird on my end, at least. But uh, I don't know about you guys. I'm getting ready to uh, already strap in for, <laughs> for political season. Uh, because in, in politics, of course, there is no uh, rest. And that is, of course, true today, as I'm joined by a gentleman who's running for Congress. Uh, now, this gentleman is Steve Skelton. Uh, now, Steve is running for Congress out in the great state of Michigan. And uh, he actually reached out to uh, to join the show because, yes, he's a libertarian who's seeking the nomination. And uh, at the Brian Nichols Show, we try to uh, make sure we're raising some voices uh, for people who maybe are not being heard on the mainstream. So that being one candidate here in Stephen Skelton uh, joining the show. Now, this is an episode, yes, I have been sitting on for a while, uh, but still, it's an evergreen episode and it's a great opportunity to learn more about a great guy running for a, a position and uh, definitely has a chance to uh, to make a difference. So with that being said, on to the show, Steve Skelton here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Brian, for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Steve. Well, well number number one, a libertarian running for libertarian, as, as a libertarian congressman. I mean, that that. It doesn't really happen that often, and yet this year, the year 2020, where seemingly the first of everything seems to happen, we get one in Justin Amash, and Justin Amash is looking for backup, and uh, you know, just recently I had Elliot Shearman, who's uh, running against Dan Crenshaw down in Texas um, as a libertarian, and you are now uh, seeking the nomination against a, a sitting, Repo- uh, I, I believe me, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a sitting Democrat representative in Susan uh, Del Bean, correct? Yeah, Suzanne Delbaney is the uh, Delbaney, is the yes. current candidate. Yeah, and you're right. And Justin Amash, you know what? He ruined the the, the title of my campaign, the one seat for liberty. I'd recorded the <laughs> videos. Hey, you know, we need one seat for the rest of us. And and then Justin Amash comes and joins the party and ruins my tagline. But ha- happy <laughs> to have him. Happy to have him, and let's make it a caucus in 2020. Amen. Um, and and right now we're seeing obviously it's it's never happened before. A tripartisan. Uh, coalition with, uh, you know, it's all happening right now in the world, especially as it f- uh, pertains to criminal justice reform and that of uh, pr- passing qualified immunity reform and, and ending qualified immunity. And Justin Amash really is is the one leading the charge here as the only libertarian bringing on both Republicans and Democrats. So let's, let's start off here. I, I think to, to your point, and, and we actually were discussing this before the show started, Steve, is that one of the main points of your campaign is that you want libertarians to win. And I'm, I'm starting to hear more of that that sentiment echoed throughout libertarian politics, especially um, you know as we go towards the election. I think I think libertarians are looking at what's happening right now as a real opportunity to, to number one, reach a lot of people, but also to discuss issues that a lot of people are, are focused on and care about. And, and a lot of people are awake. And I think with that, there are the libertarians out there who more want to educate. And I say educate of... And I'm not trying to pick fights with anybody, and and I actually discussed this with Matt Kibbe last week. But it comes down to there there are people out there who are are the salespeople and those people who are the engineers. And it seems like we need a lot of salespeople out there who actually want to win, close the actual deal, right? Um, and and your background obviously is in sales, so I'm I'm seeing people like you now actually taking the uh, the mantle, leading it forward, and focusing on winning, closing that deal, winning elections. So let's kind of start off 
you know, with the elephant in the room, there's only one libertarian in Congress, and it's Justin Amash, and he didn't win his congressional uh, race as a registered libertarian, so we, we've yet to see a libertarian actually win elections, so tell us, Steve, what's the, the case? Why should folks look at you as a serious candidate against the incumbent? Oh, thank you so much for asking. And in 434 other congressional districts, I would concur. It is a, a tremendous long shot and there probably isn't a path to victory for the libertarian. But there is a uniqueness about how Washington operates its elections. And then within Washington, there is a uniqueness to District 2 that makes this possible. I will explain. In Washington, uh, instead of having a primary for each different party and then the winners of those parties square off in November, we have one election, one primary election, regardless of party. It takes place in August and there are two winners. The top two and only the top two move on to the final, uh, to the final election in November. Now, typically that's going to be the Democrat and the Republican. But when I was researching my run, I noticed in the district next door, Washington 2, that a fellow by the name of Brian Luke, libertarian, happened to come in second in that primary in, 20, uh, in 2018, and he went on to the general election. Now, Washington, too, is unwinnable for anybody but a Democrat. It is so gerrymandered. It, it, it's 80 percent uh, Democrat. There's no way to win. But he showed that if you can defeat the Republican in the primary, you can be one on one with the Democrat in November. Well, in my district, that's certainly doable. There's two Republicans splitting the vote with, uh, and the parties abandoned them both. Uh, they're pretty much just on the ballot, name only, you know, shaking hands with their friends. There's no organized campaign. I can beat them both if we can nationalize libertarian efforts on this district. I can beat them both and move to the general election where I'll be one-on-one -on -one with the Democrat, Suzanne Delbaney. And in Washington 1, unlike Washington 2, this is a very purple district. The Republican in 2018 got 40% of the vote really without a campaign. He raised less than $15,000 and still got 40%. That's where I'm starting. And it's my job as a salesman and as a persuader to take that floor of 40 and bring it to 50.1 and win a seat for the Libertarian Party in Congress. See, that, that that's... That's music to my ears because I, I mean I too. It's it's funny you you can actually see the the folks who probably are involved in some in some way shape or form sales in their day job and and you see that different mentality. It's it's you know if, if you're in sales and you're constantly getting second place, guess what? You're not paying the bills because you're not getting commission because you're not closing deals. And I think the problem is is that you know the Libertarian Party has been focused for too long on simply just trying to educate people and say like, listen, we win because our ideas are right. It's like listen. That's not the argument. We know our ideas are right. We have to stop, you know, we have to stop telling ourselves that we're right and convince other people. And that entail, entails us to go out of our way and show people the value of our of our principles as it pertains to them in their personal lives, in their communities, and so forth. So I guess let's let's kind of start out here right now, you know, in your in your district particularly, Steve. What's the, the case for liberty? And right now I say that, you know, looking at the world, we have COVID-19 lockdowns. We have civil unrest across the United States in response to the George Floyd murder. I mean, it, we're seeing right now the United States in a big, a big, honestly, a big crossroads. Where, where are we going to go? What's the case for the libertarian in not only your district specifically, but let's, let's kind of expand it. The, the libertarian case nationally, why do we have the, uh, the right answers and, and actually have solutions that will uh, will make things ultimately better for everyone across the board. 
Well, you know, we, we have always had the right answers and we have always been the best uh, at, at Denny's at one o'clock in the morning drinking coffee with those answers. And, and, and uh, uh, but we haven't translated it into uh, persuading the electorate. And so how do we do that now? I don't want to be the merchant of fear because that is how our, our major parties operate. But part of what's driving me is that we can actually see our liberty, crum- not crumbling, but but uh, stretching at the fa- at the seams of the fabric around us. Uh, I live up here in Washington State and living living under the reign of Jay Inslee, we can see our fabric eroding. I'm at my office building right now that just just last week, or just this week, just Monday, uh, we were finally able to have people come in uh, and, and meet with us despite our curve long being flattened. Some of the counties can, but most of the counties can't. Uh, our, our freedom to move about, we were on lockdown for months. Are you in uh, the chairs? No, fortunately, I am nowhere near the Chaz. And, uh, you know, I'm against border walls because I'm a libertarian. But if Trump's going to build a wall, he should build that thing around Seattle and protect us up here in Snohomish County from that craziness. But I I don't want to I don't want it to come from a place of fear. But, hey, look, guys, uh, the irresponsible governance taking place. This is a threat to our liberty. Uh, Everyone I know, their savings is in dollars. Uh, and the, and uh, I, I don't even know how many trillions they printed out. Was it three trillion that they just printed out? If not more. And that's and I mean, you're speaking to the point. And really, this is something people are not paying attention to. And it's the hidden, the hidden stealing that is taking place right now. And that is in inflation. And and as they fill this market with more and more money, you are destroying people's hard earned savings. I mean, if you constantly are inflating the market and you're making dollars valueless, then you're gonna we're gonna end up just like we uh, you see. Countries like Venezuela, where they're literally using their their money for for burning for for energy, for keeping you know their homes warm, and that's that's a horrifying prospect. And yet our government didn't even bat an eye to to put in you know but pump in like we said three plus trillion dollars in in what was it two three months, and that's and we're only halfway through the year. Like what's going on, what's going to happen in the second half of the year? We were scheduled to spend five trillion and take in four trillion anyway. We have a three trillion dollar special spend here. The debt has gone. Uh, last I looked, it was twenty six trillion. We have another trillion to go this year. That's bigger than our entire economy. That is so irresponsible uh, on behalf of, on the part of the parties that I'm without an adjective to come up with it. And I'm a giant loudmouth, right? And I can't even come up with the words to say just how responsible, how irresponsible I think that is. And, and, and uh, we, we need to, we need to vote these parties out of power because if we don't, we might end up like Venezuela or when I was younger in the 80s, it was Mexico, where you have hyperinflation. Uh, you have the government uh, you know, printing money while at the same time they're preventing people from producing. Money is only good for buying products. If people aren't producing, hyperinflation comes in and boy, then you've got pain for everybody. So right now, a lot of people out there are looking for, um, you know, they're looking for the the alternative. And and you, I think you're focusing on the winnability ch- uh, chances that you have in your your district. And it it's sad because it seems like the the common denominator I'm seeing across the board is is that people constantly have in their minds that it's it's a you know a, a binary choice. And I don't I don't know how we're going to be able to conquer that because we see this happen in pretty much 
every facet of life. It, it becomes not, there, I mean, there's no room for nuance, right? It, it's either you're for this or you're against it. It's, I mean, let's, let's go back to, uh, to Star Wars where, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a big Star Wars fan. I, I find that there is a lot of libertarian themes in Star Wars. And, and one of the, the points that is made in Star Wars is just the, the blindness of binary thinking where Anakin is talking to Obi-Wan. He's like, either you're with me or you're my enemy. And, and when you hear it said out loud, you're like, that's so stupid. Like, why would you ever think in that kind of a mindset? And yet we look right now at our political structure with half of America basically looking at the other half as their, their political enemy. And we're starting to see that boil over to not just political enemy, but you know, you're actually my enemy. And I think, you know, when you're looking at your district, People are going to be questioning, you know, yes, there's a, another choice, but it's a libertarian. Do you think that people are going to be hesitant to actually look at the libertarian as a, as a real alternative? I mean, just because you, you mentioned the other candidate in the, the opposing district, the Republican, but like, I mean, Republicans, right? They're, they're established. They're, they're more well-known. You, you vote for a Republican, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get this, you know, milk t- toast, you know, George Bush or, or Donald Trump clone, uh, you know, pick your poison. And, and that's, that's what you're going to get. Whereas a libertarian, like, there's a lot that comes with that and probably a lot of questions too so maybe speak to those uh, concerns well it, it's my job to persuade and of course they're going to be hesitant and they have been hesitant and we we joked beforehand about the stupid comments that come in on my facebook page and and they're funny and they're comical and but they don't represent everybody most people are reachable and most people can be persuaded and the second declaration of my campaign is that to resolve our blue city red county differences we have to make washington dc less important and we need to settle these issues closer to home uh, our federal government was not designed to make decisions about where people go to the bathroom our federal government was not designed to make uh, to to make definitions of what is a man and, and what is a woman and these social issues that we're into the 10th amendment of the constitution forbids it from all of that for good reason those are questions that the states themselves should be answering and instead of forming coalitions of counties king county up here in washington and 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 uh, and whatever county is san francisco down there in in uh in california forming coalitions and fighting out our social questions in washington dc our team versus your team we need to take that out of washington that that government is so powerful it is not right for us to be taking the power of that government and swinging it against each other over our petty red and blue differences. Let's leave the federal government out of it and, and turn down the heat on everything and come together uh, as neighbors and as Washingtonians up here, uh, you know, or as Pennsylvanians are in Philadelphia and, and figure that stuff out at our state level. And that will turn down the heat of what you're talking about, the distrust between uh, between the people, not just politically, but it, it's coming between us. You know, they don't let us out in the bars anymore, but uh, I'm sure if they did, you'd notice at the open mic, some people looking sideways at other people for what they said on Facebook. It really is becoming binary, your team and my team, and God, for heaven's sakes, if my team loses, your team's going to do terrible things to me with the full power of the federal government. We have to win. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and right now I think we're seeing, I mean, to, to go towards Michael uh, Malice's favorite analogy, and that is a, a massive red pilling across America because you're seeing a lot of folks, and I'm, I'm going to generalize, but a lot of folks on the left who I think they're starting to have their worldview questioned because, I mean, now they're starting to, to, to realize that they, they have a lot of these conflicting beliefs. Like, for example, they, they can support the idea of, you know, trust the experts, but then in the exact same breath say, but we're big proponents of democracy. Okay. Well, democracy got you Donald Trump. 
So what 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 you're gonna do? And and you can almost see like the NPC does not compute face. And and it's sad because I want to be able to reach these people. Um, but in my experience, I have come across some of these folks, they do completely shut down. And I I I guess my question would be, because you know, my again, my day job's in sales, and I, I would love to focus specifically on selling to people, is what would you say is the best approach to sell to, you know, a, a person who is politically more left-leaning? Because I think it's it's safe to say, despite the fact that we do have a, a part of the libertarian movement who is more left-leaning, I would say a, a majority of liber- the libertarian movement mm-hmm. is more right-leaning. So I think we have a natural kind of uh, gravitation for, for folks on the right. Left, I, I think we have a little bit more of a hard time. So help me re- reach to these people from a, a sales perspective. What's the best, um, you know, the best value statement, the best elevator pitch, you know, the best cold call that we can give to the, somebody on the left that actually piques some interest and makes them want to uh, maybe dig a little deeper? Well, the, the first thing that, that you have to do is you have to meet them where they are, not where we would like to have them. You can't open the conversation with uh, prostitution and heroin should be legal and all taxation is theft. You know, all of that may be true, but it's not a very good starting point. So you have to start with where, where they are. And that's the first thing. But next is that you have to show them that the Democrat, the Democratic Party doesn't represent what their interests are. Most of, most of these people were traditional liberals before all this progressive nonsense came about. And you say, hey, look, you're against bombing brown people in faraway countries that don't matter to us, right? And they say, yes. And you say, well, Congress, Republican and Democrat agrees on that 100%. President Obama dropped more than any president before him. And then you have to say things like, um, you know, uh, that, that you want the opportunity, you know, you look at African-American children in the inner cities, you know, the most important things that we could do for them would be to end the drug war uh, and to give school vouchers to their parents so that they could go to other schools. Democrats have not ended the drug war. They'll let us use cannabis up here in Washington as long as we pay them a 40% graft on top of what we buy. Uh, but the rest of the drugs are still illegal and we're still throwing people of all colors, but mostly minorities, uh, into prisons for using drugs and forcing them on the black market and into crime. Uh, and, and Democrats are, are doing nothing about that. Uh, and the other issue, school choice, Democrats are wholly owned by, uh, by the, the teachers' unions. Uh, and despite failing public schools, uh, the, uh, the, the, the parents whose children live in these inner city schools, they have no choice. The Democrats won't let them have their voucher to go someplace else. You just have to show, in, in summary of all of this, the Democrats aren't representing what's best to your interest. Uh, or in the zeitgeist currently, police violence. You know, these are all Democratic union cops with Democratic police chiefs and Democratic mayors, most of them in Democratic governors. So you say, Mr. Democrat, you're not getting what you want. So let's look at the Libertarian Party, where we're going to make the, make make it so a lot fewer things are illegal. We'll have less interaction with the police. We'll end the drug war, and, and instead of sending uh, you know young black men to prison, uh, we're going to send them to uh, to, to trade schools uh, where they can be productive members of society and raise their children rather than sit in prisons. These are real solutions to the real problems we have, and Team Democrat isn't providing them. Uh, the Team Democrat doesn't represent your values, Mr. Street Democrat. We, the Libertarian Party, are your better choice. Well, not only that, but in many cases, it's the Democratic Party who's causing a lot of the problems. I mean, you look at where I mean, let, let's be real. You look at where any big city where any of these tragic shootings takes place 
And I can almost guarantee that not only are you going to see that they are, um, you know, pr- pr- uh, predominantly um, Democratic, both in terms of their, their leadership from the mayoral standpoint, but also their city councils, their judges, their, their DAs, they're almost all Democrats. And, and then to take it a step further, I mean, you look at cities like Atlanta, for example, where, you know, from a, the top down, pretty much everybody is not only a Democrat, but also black. And, and then you have to take in that into consideration and say, well, what's happening? Why isn't it getting better despite constantly doing, I mean, I think it was Killer Mike who, who brought this up. I think it was Killer Mike at least. Like, you know, you can't constantly do the same thing over and over again and expect, you know, expect it to be different. And we've been voting for these all these people and, and not, oh no, you know who it was? It was Sean King. Sean freaking King of all people. Sean King. I couldn't believe it. Someone, hey, you know what, Brian? I, I think somebody's got Sean King in their basement tied up and has control of his Twitter. <laughs> Because that is the that is the only way this makes a lick of sense. I got down off the mountains one day. You've know, been up, with, got no no reception, and I get back and I see this Sean King tweet about uh, exactly what you're saying here. Hey, they tell us to vote. Well, we're voting for nothing but Democrats, and look what we have. And and I about I dropped my phone. I I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but yeah, Sean King for crying out loud has this figured out. And that's and that's why I think there is such an opportunity because you're seeing people like him, and, and I mean you're seeing people like Chris Hayes. I mean Chris Hayes, who is is pretty much as you know as as lefty as they come on MSNBC, who objectively was talking about the Joe Biden terror read accusations and was like. When, when Kavanaugh had all these accusations, we took them as, you know, as serious accusations and we did, you know, go through the process that we were supposed to go through and we should be doing the same thing with Joe Biden. And then the next day, fire Chris Hayes was trending number one on Twitter. And, and I get, I get so nervous because I'm like, who are these people? Like, who are the people that are, are that adamant that we need to, like, just completely, you know, destroy anyone who's trying to speak truth? So, I guess, not your average person who's on the left, but you, we have a, a group of people out there who, I mean, I I think it's fair to say there, that they do mean ill well. I mean, they, they do mean ill well. There, there is no doubt about it. I mean, there's a, a picture from one of the uh, the protests where it's like, we will tread, and they're holding a flag that says, we will tread, and, you know, grabbing the, the snake. Yeah, grabbing the snake. So, like, there is a group of people who are a part of this movement who, I would say, are not our friends, are not our allies, and I think we as libertarians have to address that because... I think one of the problems is that we as libertarians tend to be very non-confrontational, but I mean, this is something that we, I think we have to to address, you know, first and foremost. So how do we address those folks on the far left, number one, but number two, how do we help differentiate those from, you know, those in the very far left from those who we could actually work with from a policy perspective and uh, enact common goals forward? You know, first, Brian, I think there has to be a healing, uh, a, a healing. It seems to me that they're particularly on the left. They've given up the pretense of acting in good faith. Uh, I, I've been I was divorced a long, long time ago. And I remember the, the, the time when it became apparent to me that she was no longer acting in, in good faith. And when I look at Brett Kavanaugh and then I look at these protests and the and the coronavirus, and the reactions to it, you know, when I went and spoke at the Reopen Washington conference, uh, Reopen Washington rally in Olympia, uh, I was told that I was callously murdering all the grandmothers in Washington. That's a little hyperbole, but boy, they, you know, they, they, they let me have it. And then just a week, two weeks later, 
Uh, now all of a sudden you can go out and you can have 60,000 people marching in the street. And then later at night we can riot and we can loot the wall, the, the Walmart, the target, and none of that will share the virus or, or at least that stuff is so important that it's okay. You know, either they were full of it when they said that to me, that I was a callous murderer. They didn't mean it or they're complete sociopaths and are okay with all of these people dying. It's one of those two. And, and it's obvious, and I know, and you know, and you know that I know you know, yet you're, you're going to say it to me like that. Gaslighting is the term that comes up, is, is kind of in vogue. But, hey, between Kavanaugh slash Reed and the coronavirus vis-a-vis uh, rallies to reopen states and protests regarding Black Lives Matter, we need to have a reconciliation and make sure hey, you guys, we're, we're still on the same side here, right? Is, or is the warfare come to the point where this thing is, is irreconcilable? And, and it's my prayer that it's not. And it, it's what, you know, the number two declaration of my campaign is the best thing that we can do to take that pressure off, make the federal government less important. We'll decide these things at home. The reason that everyone pretended to believe Christine Blasey Ford's accusation, and believe me, there's absolutely no reason to believe it at all. But the reason they pretended to is because the Supreme Court seat was way more important than it ever should have been. And so they had to pull out whatever stops they could, and they uh, they 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 turned in. I, I don't want to say self-respect, but sort of to make the argument that they did. It's kind of hard to be respectful of that. You know, hey, she doesn't know where or when, and even her dad doesn't believe her. But boy, we do. Well, well, <laughs> you know? well and what's what's sad is that what we're seeing is a constant increase in the media hyping up certain events. And then not following through. And then that builds this distrust in the American people, right? So we're seeing this especially right now in 2020 when it pertains to, or as it pertains to COVID. I mean, the, the COVID-19 uh, lockdowns were easily the, one of the biggest red pilling moments of, of, I would say, you know, history because every, all of a sudden you had a world literally shut down from all their governments and, and we were told just sit tight. Trust the experts and and we'll get through this. And yet then you start to look at who these experts are. I mean, and pretty much let's let's all, you know, look at where this all really started from. And it was from the, the study out there, I think it was in Oxford, where it was the um you know showing how many millions, uh, four, four million or two point two point two. 2. 2. Yeah, two point two million yeah, Americans dead. Yeah. And it's like that's where we we started this whole lockdown fear. And actually, I was listening to um, a phenomenal podcast, and I, I'm I think it was actually Matt Kibbe talking with uh, Dave Rubin um, over on Dave Rubin's podcast. And and Matt laid out actually, and this is funny because I just talked to Matt last week, but Matt laid out a perfect example of what the right um you know the right course of action would have been. And he was like, listen. Instead of saying, "Here's what my model says: 2.2 million people are going to be dead in the United States if you if 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 we you know don't do any or no if we do do social distancing, but you know we don't you know continue these these massive lockdowns, right? So if that's the premise versus, hey, listen, we here's my here's my you know my my model, but I can't really make any accurate predictions to the extent that I know for certain because this disease is novel and I don't know anything you know to, we don't know enough to the extent of its its um you know its transmissibility we don't know to the extent of um you know its death you know, its death rate we, and and you can go on and on and on and, and present that information in that way because I think and and this is one thing where I think a lot of Americans are waking up is the government does not have our best interests at heart and often treat us like children 
And people who I, are I'd adults to, are tired of that. I'd love to take you through the abject and total failure of our government at all levels when it comes to this pandemic. By all means, please. <laughs> First, the Centers for Disease Control. We've all seen The Stand and, and, and movies like that. And, and we take comfort knowing that the very best and smartest we have in our government are all in Atlanta at the CDC. And they are working full time on novel zoonotic viruses uh, that could be coming through the population. No, 92% of what the CDC does has nothing to do with novel zoonotic viruses. It has nothing to do with outbreaks or contagions or any of that. I'm sure it's all fine work, but it's not what the CDC was designed for. Next, uh, we had three months run up on this thing. Uh, you know, being in Washington, I'm a little bit more in tune to what goes on in Asia. And I started seeing this stuff in early January uh, and, and in fact, by the end of January, uh, we knew about it. The president even had a, had a council. But uh, at that point, why aren't we stocking up on PPP, uh, PPE? Why aren't ventilators going out? Oh, that's right. We're playing this impeachment game. And uh, I, I know libertarians are split on this. Impeachment. I, I'm one, <laughs> I forgot about I'm impeachment. I legitimately wait, wait, forgot wait, about I'm, impeachment. <laughs> With 125,000 Americans dead and 40 million of them unemployed at, uh, intentionally by the government, another Great Depression, does it really seem all that bad that the president asked this guy in the Ukraine to look into something having to do with Joe Biden? Does it seem that important now, or should we have been preparing for the pandemic that was coming to our shore? I, I think when the governors shut things down, right, I'm going to give them a little bit of grace here and say, you know, they were put in a bad position because they didn't know what was going on. But they never fixed it. We didn't test. Uh, I, I'm no epidemiologist, but I know when it comes to pandemics, you need to know how deadly is it if you get it and how many people have already had it. That's, those, that's what you need to know. What's its prevalence and how deadly is it? And the, the FDA and the CDC actively acted against any organization that was trying to answer those questions. Finally, the University of Washington broke the law and started testing people up here. But we would have been better off without a government at all. We would, honestly, we would have been better off without a government. Private entities would have been testing people. The, the lockdowns also, uh, eventually it became obvious that they were of no value. The social distancing that happened voluntarily before any lockdown, every the, the NBA season ended, the NHL season ended, baseball ended, all of the rock concerts and tours and Disney on ice and conventions, and everything voluntarily closed. Uh, offices emptied out. People started working from home. Local school districts canceled schools before any governor realized, hey, you know what? I can be a complete tyrant here and lock people in their houses. And that, what happened before the lockdowns, you can see it in the cell phone data that the lockdowns came in and the people got no less active after the lockdowns. You know, we had people surprisingly are, aren't stupid and don't want to die of a pandemic coming through. So they changed their behavior. The lockdowns were completely unnecessary. And now maybe I have a tinfoil hat on, but I'll go ahead and say it. These lockdowns are continuing because of electoral politics uh, and, and to help out the Democrat Party. Uh, you can see. And, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm on Team Republican. If I was, there'd be an R in front of my name. But it's it's very obvious looking at the map of the states, the blue and the red states from the 2016 election, and you overlay the map of the states that are free right now and the states that are still under what I call economic sanctions, because that's what they'd be called in any other country. But if you look at, at, the, at those two maps, they are nearly identical. It's um It's sad. Because what you're saying is so uncontroversial and so honest. It's so true. 
but it's been so framed in, in a political lens that nobody can have a rational conversation about it, except for it seems like libertarians. And and I, I think that's why I like being a libertarian, especially in times like this, because we are really objectively, you know, third parties and we're not on, you know, team red or blue. We we can look at it and say, listen, either side is full of crap. We're going to call you out on it. And right now it is so, so apparent that not only is the, the Democratic Party, you know, blatantly going out of their way to, to, to you know, go in and after their, the Republicans, but also specifically President Trump in nefarious means, use, utilizing the infrastructure of the deep state. But take that on, on top of the fact that the media has gone above and beyond to, to prop up and defend the narratives that are being pushed by the Democratic Party. And, and it's, it's, it's truly destructive. And I, and I see, I see as a libertarian, a hundred percent why Republicans get so frustrated when they hear the media discussing anything because it is so biased and, and it is framed so, so dishonestly. And I, I, I mean, I get why there is that sentiment that like, listen, that is why people want to vote for Republicans because it it is going to be so bad if you let the other side, which in this case ends up being the, the, the left, win. And I guess that's the hardest the hardest part of being a libertarian is that that's the argument we're facing against. So let me end the show in in this way, Steve. And this is is the the, the best question. Twenty twenty is obviously the most important election of our lifetime. Said every uh, Republican or Democrat for the past like what thirty elections. So. With that being said, even though it's our most important election, what should we do, Steve? Should should people still consider a libertarian? And if so, especially in uh, in uh, Washington's uh, congressional district out there in the first district, why should they consider you um, versus the incumbent? Okay, uh, I, I'm sorry. When you started talking, I thought you were going towards the presidential campaign, and so that was where my brain was formulating an answer. But you're, you're talking about uh, uh, about me here, uh, and and yeah, I'm reaching out to. Well, hey, how about this? We'll 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 do two parts because I do think it's good to talk about um, the presidential aspect as well, and, and let's tie it in to to wrap up with with our our nominee and that in one Joe Jorgensen. So we'll we'll kind of set the stage there, and and you can kind of roll away from that, and and, and obviously. I want you to give a, a good plug for your candidacy um, out there as a, as a libertarian candidate for Congress. I, I, I will do that first. Uh, as far as a presidential vote up here in Washington in the first district, that's really easy. You vote for Joe Jorgensen uh, because it, you're, we're surrounded up here. Uh, the Republicans aren't even going to spend any money up here. Uh, let, let's face it. Uh, Joe Biden's vice presidential candidate will be the, the will win the votes of the state of Washington uh, for the presidential contest. So you may as well vote for Joe Jorgensen. You've got nothing to lose uh, and you make your voice actually heard that way. I hate saying the word actually, but it works there. You will actually be heard if we can get Joe Joe Jorgensen up five and a half percent. Also, that makes us a major party here in Washington, uh, and that helps us with ballot access. Huge vote for Joe Jorgensen. Uh, as for me, uh, you brought up the deep, the, the deep state stuff, uh, and and I can see why, as a Republican voter, it's so important. Uh, uh, you know that that we continue and have power to investigate that, and, and I promise, as a libertarian. You know, I, I'm going after that, too, because it is obvious that the outgoing administration 
uh, you know, they uh, what they did, you know, framing up a three-star general and 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 you know, basically spying uh, using the, the the law enforcement apparatus at the federal government, the full, federal level, and the full weight and force of the federal government to spy on the opposition campaign, you, you, lying to the FISA court. You can't let them get away with that. Uh, and uh, and so I I absolutely will investigate that and be a part of that in the House. Uh, and, but most importantly, I'm the tip of the spear of taking down the two-party duopoly of power, right? Because if we can't remove these parties from power and on issues of war, debt, corruption, scandal, and embarrassment, there isn't an inch of difference between the two of them. And if we don't start electing other parties, it really doesn't matter where where this thing ends is with a devaluing of, of the currency. It ends with further unrest between the people. This is not getting any better until we stop electing Democrats and Republicans and we replace them with what the founders envisioned, which is citizen legislators, legislators serving a term or two in Washington and returning to their private lives when they are done. The people of the United States need to take back the people's house. That's the House of Representatives. And it starts with this campaign because as I opened with, in 434 other House races, there isn't a chance, but there is one here in this district, we can win. And if you're in this district, vote, volunteer, share my message. If you're out of this district, you can donate to my campaign, skelton2020.com, one seat for liberty. If libertarians from all across the country focus on this seat, we can win it. Uh, I, I just need the resources. Just uh, I put five grand of my own money in it, and I dropped my my consulting business for a year to run full time. If we can get another fifteen or twenty, then we're we're at a level playing field with the Republican. And if I have a fair fight with the Republican, I can beat him. I promise. Steve Skelton for Congress, libertarian out there in Washington. Best of luck, sir. Skelton2020.com will include all the links in the show notes for that as well as your social media. Thanks for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Brian, thank you so much for having me. All right, folks. So that's going to wrap up my conversation with Steve Skelton running for Congress out there in Michigan. If you could do me a favor, go over and uh, support him wherever you can. Uh, It's Skelton2020.com. It's a one seat for liberty. Uh, out there on on Facebook. Uh, Guys, Steve's doing what we need to do, and that is actually putting our money where our mouth is, and and yes, going out and leading the charge, trying to make a difference, and and I inspire you. If you you want to, and I say inspire, I encourage you, I implore you, if you're in a local area that a a seat is open, um, and you want to make a difference, and and you know you can, then take take that step. Uh, reach out to me if you're ever interested in learning more. Um, you know, I've been dabbling into doing some uh, some more sales, uh, some sales consulting and training for folks out there who are entering into the political realm. So if you're interested in that, do me a favor, email me, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And of course, uh, guys, is you could not only support Steve, uh, but support your local candidates um, out there. And one way to do that is just share episodes, like the episode here with Steve on the Brian Nichols Show. So today I'm going to ask you to also go ahead and share this episode. So if any episode that you hear a local candidate on a, a podcast, please do me a favor, especially if they're a libertarian candidate, share their episode. That's how we get their name out there. That's actually how we uh, you make some change. Uh, and that being said, folks, I really don't have much more to say other than head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and review. Uh, dozens of you guys have already done that, and I, I thank you so much. And honestly, uh, from the bottom of my heart, you guys have been an absolutely amazing audience, and, and this is how we keep the lights on. So, guys, that being said, thank you so much for everything you've done. But with that being said, Brian Nichols signing off. You're on The Brian Nichols Show for Steve Skelton. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. 
Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.